Hello and welcome to Photographic Connections, the podcast where we create connection to self, nature and others through the art of photography. My name is Kim Grant, the founder of Photographic Connections and your host for this podcast. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Sean Tucker onto the podcast. Sean is a photographer, filmmaker and author best known for his YouTube videos and book, The Meaning in the Making. While Sean is a very skilled photographer technically, he also adds much depth and philosophical questions to his work, making his approach unique and loved by many. In this episode, he shares how he navigates life as an introvert, how we can be truly authentic in our creative work, and the real value of taking time for ourselves. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming Sean Tucker. Hi Sean, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast this week. It's a real privilege to be able to connect with you again. We were very fortunate back in October to meet in the Scottish Highlands at the Creative Light Festival and to be able to meet you and speak with you for a little while before you went on on stage and gave gave your talk was a really nice moment because of course we've both known each other for a while now uh, through through YouTube and social media and it was just lovely to get the chance to to meet you in person. So I just want to say thank you for for taking the time to speak with me and for coming on today and there's a lot I want to delve in with you today regarding both your photography but also your philosophy in life and how it can really inspire other people and as a documentary maker yourself you know the importance of going back to the beginning and telling somebody's stories so before we dive into anything deeper I wondered for those that, that aren't aware of you if you could go back to the beginning of your journey and explain what got you into photography in the first place. Uh, mine was a bit of a roundabout uh, way, I suppose, because I, I, I took photos as a kid and maybe as a teenager, but just for myself, just for fun. Uh, it was like a little bit of a an introvert crutch. You know, if I was taking photographs, people would leave me alone. I could just do my thing. So that's kind of, I suppose, why I got into it. And I, I enjoyed it, but it was never more than that for me, really. Um, and then I left it behind for a lot of years in my, in my 20s. Um, I was in living in South Africa and uh, my my day job was working for the church. So I was an ordained pastor and um, most of the creative outlet I had then was either, either public speaking, obviously being in, in the church or uh, music. I, I played in a bunch of bands. And um, so the photography kind of took a big back seat for me over that patch. Um, I mean, I suppose... We've, we've all got lots of creative outlets, but you, you you really can only focus on and grow a couple at any one time. So that sort of uh, fell to the back of the queue. And then it was actually video. I think I came back to photography through video because when I was working for the church, they don't pay very well, obviously. So I had to do something else on the side to kind of bring in a bit of extra income. And I started doing like training videos for corporates uh, I, I ran at the time, this was when Survivor was big on television on, I don't know if you remember Survivor, it's still around, I think. Um, but we ran youth camps as well, which were done as like Survivor style weekends where we split them into tribes and they had to build their own shelters and do like challenges and all the rest. So, um, when we ran those, I would film the weekend and then cut together like a one hour DVD that was done as like a Survivor episode so they could take it home as well. So all these things kind of got me into video. Um, and I did some crazy ones. Like I did a training video for an abattoir once, which was, um, memorable. <laughs> so, so lots of uh, weird stuff that I did. And then, and then when I, when my time finished with the church, like, I, you know, I, I, I parted ways with the church, um, and had to basically rebuild things from, from the bottom up, you know, at 30, I now had sunk 10 years into a career I didn't want to do anymore. And, um, it was a friend who said to me, you know, you, you've got to start again. You might as well pick something you really enjoy doing if you've got to start from scratch. So that was when I decided, what if I could make photography and filmmaking, which I was already enjoying on the side, what if I could make that the thing that paid the bills? So it was three, four years of waiting tables because I wasn't good enough yet to, to make money with a camera and just really aggressively trying to, you know, build my skills and, get better at what I did and also work out which avenue I wanted to take before I kind of wound up in um, my first full-time job with a company was doing food photography. 
uh, and product photography for a company in Cape Town. And then it kind of went from there. I went down the product photography route for quite a few years and then came back to London and uh, did uh, big products, um, furniture for home kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And then slowly managed to sort of step over to working for myself, which happened about five years ago now. Mm. What a journey you've been on. It's interesting, I always think, to go back and, and hear where, where people came from, especially with, with their photography and what genres and outlets they they tried first and then where they, they've ended up. Because you've become most known now, I guess, for your street photography. And it's obviously something you enjoy very much. But the the main part of your work really is about you sharing inspiration and sharing philosophical thoughts with people. And that's what you've become kind of well known for, I guess, on, on your YouTube channel, which is a very different angle to take things from. You know, you've, you've gone on a very different route which is very true and authentic to yourself and that's I guess what what people find most interesting because you very much want people to delve into themselves and discover what ticks for them creatively and your photography is almost like in the background to use as examples so I, I guess where did your decision come from to to begin your YouTube channel in the first place I think it was when would it have been? It probably 2015 was when I tried to start a channel. I mean, lots of people have this experience. You try something, you go like, well, that doesn't work. And you sort of back out. So 2015, I think I was feeling like it had been about, I would say, five years since I left the church at that point. And one of the things I loved doing in the church was speaking to groups of people, especially young people and trying to say, you know, how can we get a better handle on our lives? How can we turn down the anxiety you've got about how things are going, all that kind of stuff? Um, and I think I was trying to work out a way to get back to that. How do I um, speak about things again? And, and the most obvious thing at the time was I'll just, you know, I'm a photographer now. Maybe I can give back to the photography community. And so I did three videos at the beginning of 2015, which is still on my channel, where because I was doing product photography at the time, and I knew because I'd gone to look about five years before, uh, there wasn't a lot on YouTube about how to shoot big products. There was a lot on like tabletop product photography uh, done at home, but there wasn't anything big about how do you shoot a, you know, a black shiny leather sofa with chrome legs, do you know what I mean? Which is going to reflect and is going to be a dynamic range nightmare. There was nothing like, how do I like that? So I thought, okay, well, what I could do is I could do three videos, which are a start to finish of everything that I use day to day about how to shoot light, um, uh, do the cutouts in post and drop shadows for the products and then how to recolor fabrics. Um, and it, I put those out and it, they did, they did all right because they filled a niche. There wasn't a lot out there about that, but I, I looked at them and I thought, this is not what I want to do. I don't want to do tutorials. I'm not interested in this. And then I kind of abandoned it. Like lots of people abandon YouTube channels and, and left it and only came back to it in, in would have been about May, 2016, I think, because I'd just taken a trip to Wales and I made a video that was almost like a little bit of a diary of uh, I was going on a little retreat. I got a, an eco cabin by a river in the Ogwen Valley and thought, I'm just going to go and take a step out of, of, of the day to day kind of product photography stuff because I was starting to fall out of love with photography because it was very repetitive and technical. And I was going to try landscape photography because I'm not a landscape photographer. And I thought, well, if you try something new, you're going to be learning and that's quite exciting. And I thought, what if I just made a film while I'm there about this, you know, probably failed attempt at landscape photography, but the things I'm learning from it and how it's teaching me to fall back in love with photography as, as a learner again. Um, and yeah, I filmed that. Um, I almost didn't film it, honestly. I, I kind of ran around and filmed a couple of pieces to camera about what I was doing and then thought, this is, this is terrible. I'm not going to bother and just leave it. But then on the last day before I got in the car, I thought, actually, there is a video in this. I just haven't filmed enough explaining what I'm doing. So I ran around three different spots, which were all 50 meters from the little cabin I had. I changed tops so it looked like different days. And I literally gave three, like, a, like an intro and a middle and an outro, which I thought might work to cut it together. So if you watch that video, it was, it was kind of a last minute hack because I didn't have confidence in filming this thing. Um, and I got home and I, I edited it together and it came together super quick. And I've learned to pay attention to when things kind of just snap into place like that. There's probably something in it. Um, and I, I chose to post it. And because I was being very honest in it about like, 
these aren't good images. I'm not teaching you how to do landscape photography because how dare I? I don't know. I'm not a landscape photographer. But there was something about being honest about what I was doing and why I was doing it and what I was learning and, and having a bit of humility about it that felt like what I used to do with the church. And so it was like that was kind of a moment where I went, oh, okay, I can, I can do this. I can, I can bring back what I used to do but using photography as kind of a Trojan horse to talk about more important things about what do you do when you just feel like you're, you're, you're losing inspiration and you're, 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 you're losing motivation for the things you really care about, or, you know, lots of kind of mental health, but maybe a bit of life philosophy stuff. And so it, it kind of got its flavor from that one video and progressed from there, I guess. It's interesting. I see a lot of um, reflection of myself in, in you and the process you've been through. You know, of course, we're both very different people. We've been through very different journeys, but there's also a lot of similarities, I think, between between you and I. You know, you, of course, began your your life working in the church. You were very much interested in people and, and everything that went there. I began my working life as a nurse. And again, it was because I was very interested in people and I wanted to help them. And but I just found I couldn't really help them in the way that I wanted to. And it was very restrictive in many ways. And then I've been on this journey myself of trying different styles of photography. For me, it was mainly tourism, traveling around Scotland, photographing destinations and all that kind of stuff. But now I'm going back to where I began, the, the well-being health sector. Um, but in the photography sense, you know, I'm trying to bring well-being and health into people's creativity and into nature and I guess because that, that's where my authenticity, I guess, lies. And it's true with you as well. Like your authenticity lies in the philosophy side of things, the helping people and bringing all these concepts together and, and using photography as a tool to, to do that. How do you think your process was in bringing these things together? Like, did you have a realization moment with it all or has it been like a natural journey that you've been through? I mean, I feel like the thread of who who I am, and you'll relate to this. The thread of who you are always sits underneath the things we do. You know, it's there's there's a way that we're wired, and there's things that we care about, and maybe a difference we want to make in the world that's always there. So I can see that present when I'm, you know, going to university to study psychology, and then going to work for the church for years, and then coming out and starting a YouTube channel with the particular flavor it has or writing the book I've done. And now I'm taking myself to, I'm, I'm studying at the moment to become an accredited therapist in the UK. Like my desire to help people, just like your desire to help people has always been underneath there. The stuff that the, the changes that you see on the top, like in, in, in the career switches in my life, I think in some ways it's just me trying to work out how to be most effective at that thing that runs underneath. Um, and um, that's a learning thing. And, and and I don't think I'll ever find a final form and it's fine that it kind of evolves as I go. Um, but I suppose, I mean, in the book, I, I share a quote from a guy named Frederick Beekner, and his quote is something like, uh, you know, he's, he was a pastor, so it's slightly religious language, but you get the point. He kind of goes, the, the place which God calls you to is the place where your deep joy and the world's deep hunger meet. And so it's always a case of me trying to work out, on the one hand, what's the stuff that brings me deep joy? And for me, it's been all those things. It's been, you know, speaking in public in the church or music or photography or filmmaking or writing. All those things bring me deep joy. They're creative outlets that, that jazz me up, you know. And then it's that's only half the equation, though. I think the problem with creatives is sometimes we go, what's the thing that I like doing? That's the end of the story. And for some people, it is enough. It's important to say, like, some people you know, they find a creative outlet and they go, I just want to make beautiful looking images and they go out, they make beautiful looking images and they make themselves smile and they make themselves happy. That is enough job done. If that makes you happy and you feel completely fulfilled with that, you're home and dry. That's great. But for a lot of us, it's not enough. At some point in the midpoint in our journey, we kind of go, you know, I'm making images that are technically good and they're, they're good looking and I'm getting lots of compliment for them. But the question surfaces like, what does this mean? Like, there's no meaning in what I'm doing. It looks nice, but there's no meaning in it. And we want to drop down a level. And that's the point where we have to go, what do I see in the world that's broken that needs fixing? And is there a way that I can point this thing that brings me deep joy at the world where I feel like it's broken a little bit and try and make it, try and make a difference, try and mend some broken connections. So I suppose for me personally, the, the biggest thing that I've seen that I would love to put it, make a dent in for the positive um, 
is anxiety and depression. So I've had um, family members with severe mental health problems. Um, I've had partners in the past who've, who've really battled with the same. And I would love it if what I did helps people get a handle on their anxieties and their fears to put them in context and to keep them going uh, for another day. Like that's the biggest dent I would like to see made. So I'm, I'm very deliberate about my channel that yes, I'm on the surface, I'm talking about photography, right? That's what the channel's about. That's what it says. It, and it is, and I'm happy to teach photography. I enjoy it, but that's only the subject. Like there's something underneath that that's much more important that I'm always trying to point that subject at something that I think is broken and that there's those two layers going on the whole time. And I suppose if you look at the um, the philosophical playlist on my channel, I just call it philosophical. It's like that playlist is is not really about photography specifically. It's for any artist. And it's, for, and it's even for people who don't think of themselves as creative. I get emails and messages from people going, I don't think of myself as a creative person, but I follow that playlist because it just calms me down it like makes me feel a bit more peaceful it helps me get a handle on things that are nothing to do with photography as well it's it's kind of a broader application so i suppose that's and that wasn't a decision neat and clean at the start it's kind of evolved as i've gone along you almost make work i think sometimes intuitively and you only realize later what you're really doing as you look back on it and then and then you can sort of feed back that message in more deliberately as you go so yeah been a bit of an evolution yeah it's lovely but like you said at the beginning there it's like there's no final destination I think it's one of the beautiful things about life we're forever growing we're forever evolving we're forever learning new things about ourselves and others and everything that we go through and it's nice to be on that journey I think if we stay stagnant in one place and keep doing the same thing we we don't grow and we don't evolve and we don't really maybe become the person that that we may be um have the, I don't want to say the ability to become, but I think we all have different levels we can reach in many ways in life um, and, and evolve in, in many ways, which is is, is really a really beautiful way to go. And I think the photography world, one thing I've really struggled with, like when we think of creativity and we think of other artistic pursuits, whether it's painting or writing or poetry or drawing, whatever it may be, I almost feel like there is more freedom in that. But with the photography world, there's this technical, of course, aspect to it. And I've also almost found a little bit of hostility and resistance being in the photography world. You know, a lot of people like to speak about gear and like to, there's a very competitive element to photography as well. And I found sometimes it can be quite difficult to stay true to ourselves and especially when we are maybe more creative artistic philosophical thinkers it's like trying to keep ourselves in line with that how have you found that balance in your own work uh, that's a good one I think I think I've gone through all of it like you know when I was doing product photography it really is just technical I mean there's not a lot of creativity in it you've got to shoot products clean and put them on a white background on a website and it is very technical you know I mean trying to take care of and I remember when I used to shoot the kitchenware stuff I mean, one of my nightmares would be these big KitchenAid mixers because the the bowl of the KitchenAid mixer is just a massive bent mirror so it reflects the entire room you can see all the light stands and the lights and the camera you can see me standing there so I've got to take care of all those reflections on a massive bent mirror I'm like how do you even you know and beyond the photography it's also the post-processing everything so I had to get quite deep into the technical side of things, which I'm happy about, but only only in so much as it's now a deep tool bag I've got to draw from if I find I've got a problem one day and can't work out how to take an image. But I also find that my use of those technical skills is less and less. I think the, 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 the something happens, <clears throat> there's, probably a, there's probably a good like graph curve that you could plot with, you know, you start out not knowing very much and then you go especially um it seems to be especially men really love to go oh the technical stuff is very very you know and they're going to go in deep and it's a thousand tutorials and they they love the numbers of stuff i've never been very good at maths to be honest so I've not, it hasn't caught me quite like that and then you you learn a lot of technical skills really fast and then you kind of uh, for a lot of us we kind of wake up and go okay well we we got a bunch of technical skills i still don't know what to point them at you know like it's what what am i saying with this what am i trying to make with this and there was a, the, the best example for me is my portrait photography, which I, I would say is my strongest 
skill in photography, even though most people probably know me for street photography, where at the start I would throw, you know, three, four, five lights at a subject because I, I can do a hair light and a bit of a rim light and then a fill light with a ring light and, a, you know, key light is going to be this. And maybe I can have a double key light to have a soft outer and a hard inner and all this. And then maybe I could gel a couple of them, throw in some different colors and, you know, and I just lo started looking again, what am I doing? It's just a visual mess. Um, and then it was an unlearning process of all that going, it's not about throwing as much technique as this as I can. It's telling the best story I can. And for me, I worked out that almost all my portraits should be shot with one light because it's the most classic approach. The, 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 the portraits I love, like I used to go sit in room 22 in the National Gallery because I love the Rembrandts and Rembrandt just uses one light. And it's, 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 you know, because he didn't have multiple lights. He had shutters on his window and the light was always just coming from one direction. That's what he used. And I, I love that classical, simple approach. I think there's something really beautiful about it. So, you know, after learning all that techniques, I then put them all in a bag and forgot about them because they're there if I need them. But I, I usually don't because the stories I want to tell are far less technical. It's about using very simple techniques and telling a good, clean story rather than showing off about how much technical stuff I know. So there's definitely been a learn a ton, use it in products, but then put it all away and, and simplify right down to telling, telling a good story. For, that's been my kind of trajectory, yeah. Mm. Telling a good story is, is definitely very important and it's something that you're you're very good at. And I remember when we spoke um, in the Highlands the other week, you said, well, if the favourite things you do now in your work is the documentaries you make about people. I wondered if you could speak a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a chance for me to be a filmmaker. You know, I I, uh, I think a lot of the videos that I've made before sort of three years ago, I would say were either me giving a tutorial on something or me sitting on a sofa and talking for 15 minutes about something I've been thinking about. Um, and in those cases, you don't get to be a filmmaker as much. You know, you, you kind of, uh, you're, 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 I don't know, you're, you're just trying to make sure that you're you're getting the message across. But when I travel to somebody else, another photographer, and I, I get to sit down with them and light an interview and then go around and film a bunch of B-roll of them at, at work, and I'm not on camera. I, I, you don't even hear me ask any questions. Um, I cut myself out completely except for a little intro. Um, that means I get to, you know, tell a really good story. I get to try and draw somebody out for an interview and hear the story and what they're doing so that I can cut it together later. I mean, I'm often filming two hours of them talking and I can only use about 15 minutes. So I've really got to edit and compact that story down and then work out what's the right B-roll to film with this that, that, that really makes their story come alive. Um, I love the filmmaking process of it. And I love that that's probably the, the purest kind of narrative form of videos that I make as well. Um, and also it helps me, you know, I mean, I've had people say, oh my gosh, you're so, you're so generous that you go around and you make these documentaries, you feature other photographers and give them a platform. And I'm like, it's not how I think about it at all. I mean, like they're doing me a massive favor. I mean, my channel would be, would be just one point of view. It would just be what I think about stuff um, only, which, which gets repetitive, right? I mean, I, I only have so much to say. Um, and you, you've heard me say a lot of things for years. If I go out and get other people's opinions that, that, agree with me in some ways and disagree with me in others, suddenly my channel has all this variety of opinion and all these different approaches and different ways of thinking about making images that I think only enrich what I'm doing. And I, I, for me, it's, it only helps. I mean, the, the, it's very nice that people think I'm just doing it to like, and obviously I like the fact that it, if it helps other people and, and their journey, that's great, but there's definitely a selfish element to it. You know, I, I get a far richer channel in the process. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's interesting, isn't it? Because when we get kind of stuck in our own little world, we kind of get very, we, we stay with the same thoughts, the same feelings, the same situations. But it's only when we reach out to other people and have conversations and listen to other people's stories that we grow and develop. You know, I've realized that with this podcast, I've realized that with the online community, going to events and things. 
um you know and just speaking to other people and also reading and everything you know we we get all these different viewpoints these different people's perspectives different cultures different religions different backgrounds and then it, it helps us to really formulate i guess who we are in life as well and and then we change and evolve depending on who we're interacting with and the things we hear as well but i do think it's really important and Again, another thing I think we have in common is this introversion. You know, we were both very introverted. Um, I remember at the festival, you know, both of us, you were kind of in one corner and I was in the other corner. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, yeah, right. yeah. While, of course, we spoke to people, it's like we're very much like on the outside because, you know, I don't feel comfortable in big settings with lots of people around. And I got the sense that, that you didn't really as well. But then the moment you went on stage, it's like you almost light up. And it's the same for me. It's like in these situations, I feel very not uncomfortable but just very uneasy and on edge and I'm like I'm, I'm really looking forward to my alone time but then if you put me on stage or in front of a camera or a microphone like we're doing just now it's like both of us just seem to to come alive and then that sense of introversion for some people can be hard to grasp because they're like how can you be introverted when you can speak so confidently on camera how have you found with that in, in your own um, life? I think uh, I think people make a, a bit of a mistake because they often tie together introversion and confidence, and I, I don't think it's the same thing. So they think that introversion is a lack of confidence, um, and it means that that means you're you're sort of socially shy. It's it's not really that I don't think. I mean, obviously, there's lots of different definitions, but the best definition I heard is is introversion or extroversion is far more about how you recharge. So introverts need to recharge by taking space for themselves and going away that's how they get their energy back an extrovert needs to go out for a night with their friends and let loose that's how they get their energy back but you can be a confident and I I consider myself a confident introvert you can be a confident introvert in the same way that you could come across uh, a very insecure extrovert you know it's not it's not the same thing it's far more that kind of recharge posture so you know, I know, I know how I'm wired now. And I think there was a stage in my life where I felt like I had to fake being an extrovert to get by or, or, or to, I don't know, quote unquote, succeed in whatever I was doing. Um, I like me now, you know, I've, I've got to the stage. Where I'm like, I, that's, that's how I'm wired. I, I, I am a quieter personality. I don't need to pretend I want to go out, you know, to, to, for for drinks with friends all the time because that's what everyone else wants to do I don't like it it doesn't it doesn't really do it for me and I'm okay with that um and there are other people out there like me too who just want a one-on-one quiet deep chat in a coffee shop that's how they were were wired so I just um I've worked out how to surround myself with people who want to who want to do those things too um and and I think it is a lot to do with self-awareness and then acceptance of that self that you discovered you know that 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 you do actually like who you are and you see the strengths in it I, I made a video probably about five years ago now it's an old one about sort of the um the strengths of being an extrovert as, as a creative and and uh it was it was a good one for me to make because it was something i was discovering at the time i think and it was a direct response to looking at how people did youtube channels right i mean you, you and i have a similar kind of softer pace to our videos but but we're not the norm and especially weren't five years ago it was it was like a lot of people were 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 kind of really you know jumping up and down yelling at the camera like they're presenting a kid's show and I thought is that what you got to do do you have to do that and I'm like I just couldn't do it I I wouldn't want to do it if that's what I had to do but just accepting that actually I was building I was slowly building an audience on my own terms because there were other people out there who related to that style I made the videos I wanted to watch and it was nice to see that there are other people out there who who agreed with that and also wanted to watch those sorts of videos. Um, and then I was able to make a video that said, hey, you know, I, let me be your canary down the coal mine here. I've, I've done it this way. And, and it, you, you can find your own audience by, by, by being who you really are rather than pretending to be something you think works. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's, you know, it's all valid. It's, it's, it, it's all, it's all good. And, and, I know the arguments like you do that, you know, like everyone does that. Yeah. But you have to be the big voice in the room to get the attention. I mean, I'm reading way too late because people have recommended this book to me for years, but Susan Cain's book quiet. And, you know, there's this whole thing about the the myth of the extroverted, um, the successful extroverted entrepreneur. Like it's not, it's not the case. Like 
a quieter person who sits in a room and isn't the first to talk or the loudest to talk. I've often found something interesting happens is that the, if, if you stay quiet for long enough, but you've also got a bit of credibility, the room slowly quietens down and they'll all turn to you and they'll ask you what you think. And then by the time you, you come out and you say what you really think, it holds more weight than the person who needed to shout their opinion first. It's easier to dismiss that. There's, there's definitely like a, a value um, in, in being that person who, who waits and says something really important in your own way than tries to yell it. So, and, and that's true for photography, right, as well. It's like not necessarily the, um, like being the person to make the loud images, but maybe making the quieter, more meaningful images over time. There's a, there's a corollary with all of this stuff. Um, yeah, it's, but it is a lot about acceptance, like getting to know who you really are and, 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 and learning to like it for, for who you are. And you, there's loads of stuff you can do with that. You know, it's, it's journaling, it's finding people like you, it's going, therapy it's doing personality tests all these things will get help you get to know how you're wired and, and hopefully learn to like it mm. I was going to ask you there actually what you've done to to get yourself there because it's it's such a a, a process isn't it you know it, it's a journey I've been on the last maybe four years really delving into who am I and starting to say no to things that no longer align with me or make me feel really uneasy and do things that maybe don't agree with me but in the beginning, it's so hard. You know, you turn down opportunities or, or situations, and then you you go through that fear of fear of that fear of missing out that many people speak about. Mm. But then once you get past that, suddenly it's like the world just opens up. It's like the more you learn to understand who you are naturally, whether it's introvert, extrovert, whatever it may be, and naturally what you enjoy and what you naturally find interest in, you just feel so much more settled in yourself, and you you grow to to like your your situation and where you are and then you can start attracting those shared similar relationships and connections and doing more of the things that, that you enjoy but it is such a process isn't it um it takes many years to, to get there yeah and that, that, that's the point I think it's it's easy to say it you know as you get older you you kind of look work this stuff out for yourself but I, I I remember what it was like in my 20s like it wasn't it wasn't that easy to conceptualize and you almost have to prove it to yourself. I think we all we all probably know it on paper more more now than ever um, that that every personality type is is valid and has something to offer. Um, but you almost just have to to find the courage to be it and prove it to yourself over and over again. Like, oh, people see the value in this too, and that you work out. Oh, I hate I hate the word, but I can't think of a better one. How how to leverage the thing you bring, like, what, what, what are you, what, what, it, what is it that you, I mean, honestly, I, I don't think that, I don't think that I would have the audience I have if I did try and copy somebody else. It's another video I made early on about, you know, we need you to be yourself. Um, and I, I the, the example I was using at the time is like the, the sort of Peter Hurley's and Peter McKinnon's at the world who are just like extroverted enthusiasm on camera. And the fact that I just felt like I'm, I'm so I'm so shy and quiet in comparison. Um, but also that I was, I was working out, I was proving to myself that actually that's, that's as powerful in a different way. Um, what I'm doing. And, and, and again, like I knew it on paper, but I, I had to, I had to push through a lot of self doubt and a lot of like, is this worth it? I, I, I was never in danger of trying to, fake being an extrovert i've made that mistake in my 30s and i wasn't going to go back to that or sort of especially late 20s in the church like i've made that mistake a few times I'd, I'd learned that lesson but it was it was more the choice of do i do i do this my way or do i not bother at all and 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 i pushed through bothering and 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 a lot of trolling like like a lot of like people online who'd leave mean comments and the rest of it because that's the internet you know and, and having to go no i think they're wrong i'm going to keep going and just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. And then over time you realize, nah, this is, this is what I thought it was. It is what I meant it to be at the start. And it does mean something to a particular group of people. And that's, that's all process stuff. It doesn't happen overnight with a decision. It's, it's some dark nights of the soul in there. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they always say, don't they, it's the little things we do every day that, that make the biggest difference. It's not these big things that, that people say. Um, but yeah, it definitely is a process. And, you know, you mentioned there the, the trolls and everything, you know, putting yourself online. It's it can be scary, but it's almost like if you have a message or this calling to do it, often it's so loud that you just you go ahead with it. And in time, you do bring more and more of of the people your way that are aligned with you you know they get to know actually who you are and whether you're a fit for them or not and in time it's like those those people that really resonate with you and what what you speak about will will stick around and will 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 gain a lot from what what you create which is is really really beautiful and like one part of photographic connections is creating this connection to others uh, which of course you do a lot with your your channel but Something you're doing or have started doing in recent years is is hosting retreats, which I think is beautiful because back at the start of this conversation, you spoke about when you went on a retreat in Wales, it was almost like a, a really inspiring moment for you where you created that video. And now you're, you've gone on to now host your own retreats, which again, is sort of playing into that authenticity. You're now bringing things that you love to do yourself to give other people the things that have helped to recharge you. Yeah, I mean, the, the the book I wrote came out of a retreat as well. I was stuck in a cabin in Iceland and it was sitting in, I mean, I was there to make a video, but there was a storm that came through. I couldn't go out. It was sideways sleet and snow. And I just ended up drinking too much coffee for two days, staring out the window. And, and that was when I kind of jotted down the outline for the book and started to play around with this idea. And I've, I've learned the value of taking time out for myself. Um, and when it was like, well, well, what do you want to do? How do you, because the other thing, I mean, you'll know this, what, what we do, especially on the YouTube side, we, we, we make videos in isolation on our own, you know, and then we throw them onto the internet and, you know, their numbers get attached to it and comments come in, but it can feel quite impersonal and we feel quite disconnected from the people we're actually making work for often. We don't really get that face-to-face time. And I thought, well, how do I want to do group stuff? How do I want to get out there and meet people and hang out with people? Because even for an introvert, it's important, right? Um, and I didn't want to do workshops. You know, I've never, well, especially not street photography workshops. I, I'm, I'm not really interested in doing them. I think it's a, it's a, it's a very hit and miss process, especially for the way that I shoot. I need the light. So if it's pouring with rain all day, we're going to have a bad day and you paid. And I just didn't want that guilt. So I thought, well, a retreat is something that I really believe in and it fits what I do. So yeah, we've been running them now for a couple of years and, and, and we'll keep doing it. It's, it's, it's interesting though, because people have to understand what a retreat is to want to come. Like I, th- I think we've had, we've had one or two people come who as many times as I've talked about it in videos, newsletters, and, you know, the website that we put together, they still come expecting a photography retreat because Sean's the photography guy. So he's going to give us, I'm like, no, this is not that. Like we'll, we'll go out and we'll visit towns during the day and I'll be shooting and you'll be shooting. And if you want to ask me anything, ask me, I'll give you an impromptu, whatever, but there's no PowerPoint. There's no teaching how to use your camera. It's literally time to go away. We've got a, a gorgeous place we use in, in the hills in Tuscany you're just going to go and you're going to spend time. If I don't see you for the week, it probably means you've had a great retreat because if you decide what you need for the week is to go for long walks and sleep in late and just eat some good food and have conversations with people and that's what you want to do, great, that's brilliant. That's what a retreat. I mean, we we obviously uh, both were on um, Margaret's uh, Creative Light um, Festival. That's That's where we met for the first time a few weeks ago. I mean, Margaret's been on two of the three retreats we've run. And Margaret's a great example of somebody who uses a retreat well. Like we, we, we plan two day trips um, during the thing to go to different towns if people want to go and walk around and do their thing. Margaret has never been on a day trip to a town. She said, no, 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 I'm on a retreat. And, and she just, she's like, I can't wait for you all to get lost and go to a town for the day. So I have the whole place to myself. Like she really understands, you know, taking time for herself and solitude and thinking time. And if, and if we can't find her, she's in the swimming pool. That's where she is. And she's got a notebook on the side. She's doing laps and she's writing down ideas. I don't talk to Margaret much when she comes on my retreats because she she knows how to do a retreat. And But to me, that sort of speaks about the fact that she's one of the few who gets it. And some some come and they almost go through this like, there's like a, a rhythm to it where on the first two days, you can see them going, what am I supposed to be doing? What, what, do I, what do I do? That I've got to be doing something. I need to, how do I do this? 
you know, and, and I, say, I say to them in the first session, like, that's going to happen to you. Probably day three, you're going to realize no one expects anything of you. You can do whatever you want to do or don't want to do. I'm here to talk to you all the time if you want to chat or dig in on things. And they, they book one-to-one sessions as well if they want them. But you slowly you'll calm down. And that side of your brain that goes like you should be productive or you should be doing a thing or making a thing or, or, or coming up with something, like that'll start to turn down. And when that does start to turn down and you just stay and you just be, then then the interesting stuff starts to happen. But it's it just highlights how much we fill our lives with stuff that it takes two days for us to calm our minds down and get into retreat space. But, the, but again, that, I mean, that just that says to me how important these are because we've forgotten how to do that for ourselves. Um, so yeah, I, I love them. It's one of my favorite things I do every year. It's beautiful. And you can hear just there with everything you, you offer in that both the space, but also the chance to have these one-to-one time with you and everything. It's again, it's bringing everything that you stand for and that interests you and that's helped you in your life to, to bring an opportunity to people to have that, that retreat time, which is, allowed you to have so much inspiration and rest in your life and offering that to other people. It's an idea I've been toying with recently, not so much the retreat elements, but how I create my offerings, for instance. You know, I last weekend I did my last ever landscape photography workshop, which, you know, I, I began that because nobody really does it on where I live in, in Scotland. And it's a beautiful part of the world. So I wanted people to to come and see it and show them the places that they see on my YouTube videos. But it just never felt completely aligned to me because I don't actually enjoy teaching photography. I enjoy taking people out and giving them an experience and sharing that moment with them and allowing them to discover themselves. But I don't enjoy teaching photography. So now I'm toying with or I've just started creating these immersive photography weekends, which are going to be launched next year. And I did a trial a couple of weeks ago with with my community members who came up, seven of them up to this part of Scotland to trial it. And again, it's just something different. It's not a workshop, it's not a retreat, but it's a chance to facilitate something where I can share exercises with people that they can then take home and do in their own place. You know, because I think I recognize how much stress and anxiety is in the world and how little time a lot of people have. So for me, I want to try and give them tools that they can take home with them where if they've got half an hour free one day, they can just go out in their local area and do these things like mindfulness stuff, you know, to calm them down, to reset them and that they can fit into their busy lives to just give them that solitude and that time. But it's trying to come up with the concept and the right language to use, because that's the important thing there. You know, what language we use to describe what we're offering and but also bringing in that authenticity, which, yeah, it's it can be a challenge, I think, to to create something like that because not everybody as you, you mentioned people come come on yours sometimes and expect a photography retreat but it's like it's trying to to do it in a way that people understand what they're coming into but yeah it, it can be a challenge can't it well people will box you unfortunately like they, they're going to go well, well well kim does the landscape photography thing and so she's doing a an immersive photography thing which means it's just a, a fancy word for a photography workshop and i wanted to teach me about shutter speed you know i mean that they're always going to do that as, mu- as much as you try and uh, e- e- explain, you know, what this thing is that you're actually doing. Um, but honestly, like, I-, I think more of what you're doing is needed. Uh, you just have to back yourself. And I think slowly people will, will, the word will get around and they'll kind of understand what it's actually about and what it means. And you'll get lots of the same people coming back. I mean, the second retreat we did was full, 50% full of people who came on the first one. You know I mean? They- they're like, oh, this is, this is something I need every year and they want to keep coming back. And so that you'll build this community that really understand and buy into what you're doing and see it as something different from, you know, your average landscape photography workshop out there. And I think the fact that you're, you're, it's always, it's always when we fill a niche, isn't it? It's something that's slightly different. It takes a little bit of time for people to understand what it is, but then the people who get it are like, Oh, this is my thing. This is die hard. Like I'm, I'm with this ride or die. This is great. Yeah, that's great. That sounds amazing you're doing that. It's really cool. It was nice talking to you at the at the festival too about, I mean, because it does sound like we've been on very similar things that we're both trying to work out how to bring back something we used to do that's really important and feed it into what we do now. So, I mean, I'm really excited for you. I think it's it's great that you're kind of trying to pull all that together. It must be exciting for you to do too because it's when, I think it's when we do our most 
fulfilling work is when we work out what that intersection is yeah it's I've got to say I'm very excited for for what's happening now and it's I think now that you know at the start of the year I I I now live on my own but I love that because it gives me so much time to do things that allow me to 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 ground and to think and to journal and to to do the things that I need to do to be creative to to understand who I am you know so that I can put these things out there in the world and you do feel excited because I think when I've done things in the past that haven't been a hundred percent or you know I think it's difficult to say a hundred percent aligned with us but close to a hundred percent aligned to us you know you feel just mm, a bit uneasy you know whereas now it's like I'm excited for this I think it's it is exciting and I, I hope it will bring people some some comfort, some solace, some ideas, some inspiration and fill fill a box that, as you say, is kind of needed. Your retreats are very much needed. And I think what I'm offering is also needed, but for a different set of people, you know, it's it's a different offering, but but with much beauty. So yeah, thank thank you, Sean. Yeah, yeah. I guess I mentioned there about about me doing things every day to help ground me and, and improve my creativity. And I think I'd love to to end on this actually, Sean, is you know, in, in your life, have you got any I don't want to use the word ritual, but anything that you do every day or week or whatever it may be to help ground you and keep your inspiration high and keep you aligned with who you are? Because I think it's of course we're all very different, but as a creative person, I think it's important to have these things. So what helps you stay in your creative space and helps you stay balanced in life? Uh, walking and reading. Those are the two big things. And it, 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 I suppose, I mean, the, the, the one is that I, I in the morning I will, I'll wake up, have a shower, make a coffee, and I, I won't turn the computer on or look at social media. I'll sit for at least half an hour and, and try and read first because it's it it's become like precious time to... To, to sort of stay away from screens for a little bit, but also I, I really believe strongly that like we we have to have things, if, if we want to have things to say, we have to be putting things in. Like you can't expect things to endlessly come out of a void. You have to be feeding in the whole time. So I try, I try and read a lot of different things as well. I mean, I'm, I'm always reading five or six books at a time. And I mean, at the moment I'm, there's like a, psychology book a spirituality book uh, just a, a historical fiction book because i like those and you know there's there's always a mix on the go but I, i'm i'm quite deliberate about carving out and that funny enough it comes out of my time at church because we used to have when i when i worked for the church it we used to the, the language you used to use was you have your quiet time so every day you have to have a quiet time which is where you sit down read a few passages from the bible and pray and i've kept that in in that it's now this little sacred quiet time in the morning where I will sit and I'll read and I'll think and I guess do my version of what praying is, which is really more about a bit of meditation and mindfulness now and um, before the day kind of kicks off. So that's that's a really important thing. And then regularly walking, um, especially when I was in London, like when I, when I moved over from full-time work to part-time, well, not part-time, but like working for myself, um, I suddenly didn't have to have a commute in the mornings. So I didn't need to sit on a train for 45 minutes each way. And so instead I gave myself a commute as a freelancer. So I would go for a walk around Wandsworth Common where I lived. And that would be the first half hour, 45 minutes of the day would be doing that to clear my head and just, you know, there's something about, I think, walking and turning the noise down a little bit and just being present where you are, which is a landscape photographer, you'll know better than me, just being outside. I think is a really, really healthy thing to do. And I mean, they're two of the simplest things you can do, but it's not to do with productivity. I don't have to make anything or be anything. There's no one yelling at me to answer an email. Why, why aren't you, whatever. There's none of that. I'm not worried about metrics or online numbers or anything to do with that. It's just me trying to soak something in, whether it's reading a book or soaking in the outside world on a walk. Like those two things are, are things I, I guard pretty, pretty preciously. And, and they are very, yeah, they 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 always give back. Like they they'll always give back, and it's not about going in to get something. It's you know I don't have an agenda with it. It's just a regular practice that I know if I keep doing it, there's always stuff coming back in. I I did a um I did a masterclass a few years ago online with um, Werner Herzog, who's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers. This crazy old Bavarian guy who's just he's an absolute lunatic. 
but he makes the point at the beginning of this masterclass and says, uh, um, he says, I, I, you know, I can, I can teach you the, the technical side of filmmaking in two weeks. It's not important. He says, but learning how to see the world is going to teach you how to tell better stories. And that's a hard thing to do. And so the book he prescribed for the course was a book called The Peregrine, um, which was written by a guy named J.A. Baker down in Essex in the 50s. And it's literally just a guy describing peregrine falcons for an entire book, but in beautiful prose, beautiful, beautiful prose. And he says, like, this is the book you need to read. It's not a book about how to, how to make films or anything about filmmakers. It's a, it's a guy writing a, describing peregrine falcons. And he says, if you can describe the world the way this guy does, you will be an outstanding filmmaker. So learn how to take things in the outside world, read books, walk a lot. And this is a guy as well who he, he, um, he's practiced this thing of walking. One of the, one of the activities he gave us, which I, I admit I didn't do, but he, get, he gives us on this filmmaking course, he says, is, is walk 100 miles in one go. He says, don't, don't take a camera, don't take a book, don't do it for any reason other than just walk 100 miles in one go. And I'm like, that's mad. But he's actually done it. Like back in his youth, his, his uh, mentor, Lottie Eisner, lived in Paris and she was dying. Um, and she said, you need to come and see me before I die. And he, he's, he says, okay, yeah, I'll do that, but I'm going to walk. And he walked from Munich in Germany to Paris in the middle of winter in one go. Um, and he says like, you know, he wrote a book off that called of walking in ice and this idea of like combination of, you know, walking in the world, reading and making sure you take in things, I think is a way to make sure you always have something to say. Wow. Yes. I think I remember you saying um, that your, your speech you gave as well in the Highlands was, you know, some of the best ideas come when you're walking. And it's it's so true. And I found as being, you know, an outdoor nature landscape photographer that actually I learn more about photography when I don't have my camera with me because I notice so much. And I learn everything I know about light by just going down to the beach or going out to the woods and just looking at it. You know, yesterday morning I went to a local secondhand bookshop and I found a book about clarity. And I went for a walk up to the woods yesterday afternoon for an hour before it got dark and I found a nice tree to sit on. And I just read a book in the woods for an hour, but I kept looking up at the light and how it was changing as the sun was setting and just everything you mentioned about being out in nature, walking and reading, it was like I kind of brought all that together and I came home with so much energy and so much ideas and it's powerful. We need those switch off moments and it's like going back to your retreats. It's like we need these moments of stillness and calmness, but, you know, being able to do that or try and do that every day, even if it's just for 10 minutes, you know, they say the busiest people can probably still find 10 minutes somewhere rather than looking at their phone or whatever they may be doing, just put your phone down and have 10 minutes of just standing in your garden, go for a walk down your streets, read a book for 10 minutes. And it just, yeah, it's where I think intuition comes into play. Yeah, absolutely. Well, brilliant, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's been a real delight to connect with you again and hear a little bit more about your story. And I'm sure some of the things you've shared today will be of great inspiration for anybody um, listening. So for those who aren't already aware of, of where to find you, where, where can people go if they'd like to, to connect with you further? Um, uh, just uh, Sean Tuck, S-E-A-N-T-U-C-K on, on Instagram or Twitter or Vera or any of those. Um, otherwise, if you just search my name in YouTube, you'll find me. Um, my website is seantucker.photography. Brilliant. Thank you very much. And I'll link to everything in the show notes below. So yeah, thank you once again, Sean. It's been a, a real pleasure. Thanks, Kim. Lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. It really does mean the world to me. If you'd like to get further involved with Photographic Connections, including joining our online community, you can find all the details at photographicconnections.com. And now that this podcast has come to an end, there's only one thing left for you to do. It's time to pick up your camera and head outdoors. There's so many incredible photographic opportunities just waiting for you to discover. <laughs>